Good evening once again. I invite your attention to Luke 13. We want to study a parable together, a very short one, but I think it will be very meaningful for us. Luke uh, 13, beginning in verse uh, 6, and we'll read that together here in just a second. Luke uh, 13, beginning in verse 6. This is the parable of the barren uh, fig tree. The big title of our lesson this evening is Change. Change. I was just noticing a verse from 2 Corinthians uh, 3 and 18 where Paul says our goal ought to be uh, being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Uh, change. Change. Uh, to be able to continue to grow toward Christ, we must continue uh, to change and look closely at ourselves, examine ourselves. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 that we ought to do just that, to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. Are we still in the faith? Are we still growing? We remember in the great story Jesus tells about the prodigal son that the key passage is Luke 15 verse 17 where the, uh, the prodigal, the younger son, came to himself. He came to himself. And we must continually change to please God. Before we get to the parable, turn with me. Uh, you have your Bibles open already? Uh, turn with me to Psalm 119. Hold your place at Luke 13. Let's run back to Psalm 119. I just think that you'll want to have this um, bracketed or underlined in your Bible. Psalm 119.59. Psalm 11959. The writer says, when I think on my ways, and that, that's what we're talking about here, self-examination. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies, God. And then verse 60, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. But what's the core of that? He stopped and he thought on his ways. He thought on his ways. Why am I not drawing closer to God? Why am I not hastening to run to His commandments, to His Word? It may be that I'm not stopping to examine my, my thoughts, my motives, as we were singing just a moment ago. Take time to be holy. Each thought and each motive underneath God's control. And so our big idea here is change, but looking at ourselves closely to see whether we are changing and growing toward the image of Christ. Now, in this parable, the barren fig tree, it helps us to think about our ultimate goal. If we're going to think about changing and growing toward God, we need to think about our ultimate goal. And of course, our ultimate goal, especially in studying this parable, is to be bearing fruit for God. That's our ultimate goal, to be bearing fruit uh, for God. There are several verses that uh, emphasize this. We'll just notice a couple. Romans 1, verse 13, Paul said that he was anxious to come to Rome. And one of the reasons was so that he could bear some fruit there as well. He could bear some fruit there. That he can reach some harvest there. Paul was fully confident that as, as they got there in Rome that, that he could sow seed also. There are already some Christians in Rome. But he could sow some seed there as well and see more fruit uh, come from the mighty hand of God. 
And then maybe a couple other passages, Colossians 1 verse 6 and then Colossians 1 verse 10. Colossians 1 verse 6, Paul speaking to those Christians there in Colossae, he says, The gospel has come unto you, and it has, it has borne some fruit there as it is doing all across the world. So as, the more we sow the seed of the gospel, the more fruit will come our way. And then Colossians 1 verse 10, Paul's goal for them was they would be bearing fruit uh, in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. And so in order to change and, and allowing this parable to help us change, we must start with an introspection. Someone has said there is a, a paralysis of self-analysis. That's one of our problems in the world. We don't stop and really do some uh, self-introspection. So to change, we must start there with each in our own selves. But then also look forward. Now, why am I changing? My, my goal is to grow to such maturity that I am bearing fruit for God. Now, let's start here in, in Luke uh, 13 and read this together, a little short parable. And I think this will be beneficial uh, for all of us. Luke 13, beginning in verse uh, 6. And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, to the gardener, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put Put the dung upon it. Then, if it should bear fruit in next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. Now, our big idea here is change. There are many details that are likely associated with this parable that we just won't be able to bring out. But we can bring out three huge lessons for us uh, under the idea of change. First, I want us to notice God's demand for change. God's demand for change. Notice that the owner of the vineyard comes and he's expecting fruit. Okay. The tree has in former time not had fruit. Now he is expecting fruit. And at the end of their efforts with this parable, they, they expect the tree to finally be bearing some fruit after that extra year that they're going uh, to give it. And so God demands change. If you... Jump back to the first few verses of this uh, chapter, Luke 13. You see this right from the lips of Jesus. There's some scenarios here. What had happened in the past here, if you look down to Luke 13, a couple of verses there, that some Galileans had come into the district of, of uh, Pilate and he had slaughtered them. He had mingled uh, their sacrifices and mingled their blood with their sacrifices and then Jesus poses this question upon that. He said, do you think these Galileans that died were worse sinners than any other Galileans? And then he answers his question. He says, no, not at all, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then he brings up this other situation where evidently there had been this, this tower in Tower of Siloam there near Jerusalem that had fallen and had killed 18 people. And Jesus poses this question. He said, do you think that 
that these 18 that, that died were worse sinners than anybody else in Jerusalem? Then he answers his own question, no, not at all, is, is how it really is there in the original. No, not at all, but except you repent. And you know repentance calls for change. Change of a heart, change of habits, change of actions. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Jesus could not be knocked off of the emphasis and the importance, the demand to repent and to change. Now, just as a side note here, Jesus is able to read people's thoughts. And he knew that some people were equating suffering with personal sin. And this is very dangerous. This is very dangerous because we don't know all the circumstances around people's lives. It's not necessarily, in fact, it's just not necessarily the case that just because a person suffers, then they automatically are sinning against God. That's just not how it is. We're all in this world, this world of darkness, this world that's been cursed by sin. And equally, the, the just and the unjust uh, will suffer because they're in this world. But many people would look at that and have that idea that if you see suffering, there must be sin behind that. Job's friends were like this. If you turn back to the book of Job. Like, for example, Job 4 verse 7. One of his friends said, you know, when you have someone who is innocent, they simply will not be perishing as you are doing, uh, Job. They won't be having this suffering. Uh, you will not, the friend goes on to say, you will not see the righteous cut off like you're being cut off, uh, Job. Now, Job maintains that he has been not perfect, but he maintains his integrity before God. But these friends had that idea that, um, that, that suffering equals sin and vice versa. Okay. The reason people get that idea is because they look at themselves and they say, well, I'm not suffering like other people are suffering, so therefore I must be okay with God. And Jesus cuts to the core of that. And he said to everybody, everybody needs to be focusing on repentance, on change. God demands it because in one way or another, we are all sinners. So notice here, God demands change. God demands change. A passage that's kind of a parallel to this is Acts 17 verse 30. Acts 17 30 in Paul's sermon in, in Athens, he says... The times of this ignorance God has overlooked. But now, now, he commands all men everywhere to repent. Now. Whatever has happened in the past has happened. But now here's the, here's the will of God. Here's the will of Christ. Remember this morning we emphasize uh, what it is. We're, what time are we living in? Okay, what time is it right now? What time in history is it right now? And one of the things that this time in history demands of us is to repent, to change. So notice the demand to change. Now let's notice a couple of things that we may need to change. We may need to change our religion. We may need to change our religion. This was the case on the day of Pentecost when Peter said, repent. And he was talking to an audience, if you look at Acts 2 and verse 5, these were devout people. They were devout people. They were devoted to the true God of the universe, the true God of the, of the Bible. But they are involved now in a religion they shouldn't be involved in, the Jewish religion, and they needed to repent according to, they needed to change.
According to Acts 2.38, listen to what Peter said. Repent ye. Before he said be baptized, he said repent ye and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, by his authority, you ought to repent and be baptized. And this will bring the forgiveness of your sins. But notice they were devout people. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who comes to me and says, um, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father... Uh, who is in heaven. So there are many who are devout, yet they need to change uh, religions. We may need to change our behavior. Uh, sticking right there in, in Acts, uh, going over to Acts 3, if you look down in verse 1, 2, you know, Peter and John are going to the temple. They're going to heal a lame man. But it's the ninth hour. A lot of people are going to the temple to pray at the ninth hour. That's that's like right in the middle of the afternoon. Now, it's commendable for them that they are taking out a, a big part, a big hunk of their day to go to the temple and pray. But Peter has a message for them. If you look at Acts three nineteen, he says, repent and be converted. Okay? Repent and change your ways. Okay? Repent and turn again so that you can have forgiveness of your sins. We have to make sure that the prayer from our lips matches the life, um, the life that we're living. Okay? The prayer of our lips has got to match the practice of what we're doing uh, in our lives. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, if, if I regard iniquity in my heart, then the Lord uh, will not hear me. Psalm 66 18. Or what about Proverbs uh, 28 and verse 9 where uh, the writer says, If I turn my ear away from hearing the law of God, then my prayer becomes an abomination uh, to him. And so we might need to change our behavior like these folks needed to do in Acts chapter 3. We may need to change our values. If you look down to Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer, uh, he needed to change his values. He is told to repent. Now, Simon, if you read Philip coming into Samaria... And you read in Acts 8, 12, and 13, and so forth, that many are baptized uh, into the name of Jesus, and so is Simon. Simon also is baptized. But, um, but later, uh, he started desiring that uh, popularity with people again. Uh, he had been a sorcerer, or, or he had uh, been able to amaze the crowds by his uh, fake uh, magic that he was um, espousing on people. And he had grew to be quite popular and enjoyed a lot of the social settings. So he saw Peter and John and the power, the true power they had from God, and he, he offered them money for that power because um, he still had that old value of wanting to be great in the eyes of the world. Okay. And... Acts 8, verse 20, Peter told him, Your money will perish with you. And then in Acts 8, 22, Peter says, Repent therefore of this your wickedness, and pray to God that he'll forgive you. For you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Simon, if you're not careful, this is going to take you down a road where you'll eventually depart from the faith, the bond of iniquity. You're in the gall of bitterness. See, Simon is doing what a lot of folks do. They, they look back on that life that they had in the world before they come to Christ 
And they begin to long for that. And they begin to be bitter toward God and toward other Christians because they're not able to enjoy both. They want to enjoy both. They want that popularity. They want the assurance of forgiveness. And Peter was saying you can't do that. So we may need to change our values. We may need to change our attitudes. If you jump over to Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus, if you look at Revelation 2, verses 1 through 3, they were pure in doctrine. They had made it a practice that when a false teacher who claimed to be an apostle would come through their area, they would test that according to Scripture, and they would find them to, to be liars. And that was good. But Jesus said, I have this against you, Revelation 2, verse 4. You have left your first love. You've left your first love. You need to remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. They were pure in doctrine, but their love for people, their love for sharing the gospel with people had left their heart. And they needed to go back to that first love. We need to make sure that we're as concerned about compassion toward others as we are about our own personal convictions. Okay. So we may need to change our attitudes. Or it may, may be that we need to change our temperature. Our temperature. Because if you follow Jesus and his examination of these churches in the book of Revelation, you look over to Revelation 3, 14 and 17, and he's looking down at, at Laodicea. And he tells them that they're neither cold nor hot. And so they've become such that you'd want to spew them out of, your, out of your mouth. And he calls upon them to repent. To repent, to change their ways. They've become complacent. Uh, their temperature was now lukewarm. It ought to be boiling over. Ours ought to be boiling over. If you look over to Romans 12 verse 11, we are to be fervent in spirit. That word fervent literally means to boil over, to boil over. Titus 2, uh, 14 says we ought to be zealous of good works. And so what about it? As I look at myself, as you look at yourself, as you look at God, as you look at His, His Word, am I out here engaging people, promoting the cause of Jesus? Am I putting my life on the line? Am I boiling over? Am I zealous uh, for God? So first, notice God demands change. He demands change. The second big idea this evening is to notice the difficulty it is to change. There is a difficulty to changing. We see that in ourselves. We see that in, in other people. Notice in this parable, going back to Luke 13, notice that the fig tree was not bearing fruit and the fig tree over there in Palestine finds itself in a very warm climate. Uh, trees over in Palestine can, can bear fruit 10 months out of, out of the year. Okay. And then this particular fig tree had had several years to get to the work of bearing fruit and it's still not bearing fruit. Okay. So he has both the climate and the time behind him. He's still not bearing fruit. This illustrates for us the fact that men have a tendency not to change, not to grow, mankind. Okay? It's difficult for us to change. We get set in our ways, and we don't want to move. We don't want to move. And it's tragic. It's tragic. The reason behind it, of course, is sin. Sin. Notice three things about sin. 
some ignore their sin. Some ignore their sin. And I'm thinking about the uh, older brother in the prodigal son story. When the, when the younger one comes home, the older brother is upset that they're having a celebration for the younger one. And finally, the father has a conversation with the older brother, Luke 15, uh, 29. The older brother says, I have been with you, I have served you all these many years, and I have never transgressed any of your commandments. Now, the older brother in that story represents the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day, and even some of us. We ignore our sin. We don't think we have sin. Okay. So some ignore sin. Okay. And that's why we have difficulty changing. Others will adore their sin. Adore their sin. An illustration of this is in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. We're right there at the church of Corinth. They were fellowshipping a man who had his father's wife. Okay. And Paul asked them a question. He said, you are puffed up about this. And have you not thought about mourning about this? Okay. Their attitude well, was, well, we're okay with this. He's one of our members. Okay. He is, he's a good friend. They're good friends of us. And so... Uh, we're proud of this. Okay? They were arrogant about it. Paul said, instead of being puffed up about it, you ought to be mourning about it. You ought to be crying about it. Okay? You ought to be seeking repentance uh, from, from these folks. Some people just adore uh, their sin. You remember James in James 4, 8 and 9, he said, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Okay? He's talking about the idea of sin. When sin is in our lives, it's not a time to celebrate. It's a time to, to look upon ourselves in a heavy way and to be sad about it, and to repent, turn to God, to grieve about it. And so while some ignore their sin, others adore their sin. But the proper way of reacting to sin is to abhor it. Not ignore it, not adore it, but abhor it. And you know the passage in Romans 12, verse 9. Let your love uh, be in a genuine way and abhor, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And if you've ever eaten boiled cabbage, you know what it is to abhor something. You abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. That's why it's so hard for us to change, because we love our sin. And I'm talking about mankind in general. We love our sin. There are four things that are hard to change. First, there's addiction. Addiction. Addiction is hard to change. If you ever looked at the arm of a, a drug user and all the the tracks and the marks on their arm. You, you see addiction there. You see addiction. You ever heard of an alcoholic drinking uh, aftershave just to try to get some sort of taste of alcohol? See, addiction. Addiction is so hard. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 
13, he says, Evildoers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Addiction is hard. Another thing that's hard about changing is denomination, denominations. Denominations make it hard to change. The existence of religious groups not authorized by the New Testament, it's hard. It's hard on people. It's hard for someone to give up the beliefs of their family heritage. That's a very emotional situation. It's frustrating not to see someone take what they have been taught and compare it with Scripture to see what it is they need to be following and doing in their lives. Denominations make it hard to change. Some people have a hard time with their conversations. Conversations. Even though they have become Christians, even though they've been washed by the blood of Christ, they keep falling back into sin through how they talk. They can't help but, but salt their language with profanity or, or an unclean uh, word or have their language full of criticism and slander of someone else. It's hard to change addictions. It's hard to change denominations. It's hard uh, to change conversations. It's just one of those habits that's hard. Even though Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication, let no corrupt communication, Come out of your mouth. And then another thing hard to change is your disposition. Going back to attitudes. Your disposition. Once we're in a mindset of being critical, it's hard to come out of that. Hard to come out of that. Disposition. Jesus mentioned in Matthew 19 around verses 7 and 8. When he's teaching about marriage and divorce. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart allowed you a bill of divorcement. But from the beginning, it has not been so. Jesus is calling us away from hardness of heart to a cleanness and openness of heart. They were stoning Stephen. We read about that in in Acts 7. They stoned Stephen. And those that stoned him were described as those who were uncircumcised in their heart and they were stiff-necked. That's two ways of describing A hard disposition. And so first of all notice the demand from God, the call from God, demand from God to change. And then notice that there is taught in this parable the fact that it is sometimes difficult uh, to change. But finally this evening, notice God's determination that we do change. We do change. The gardener says to the owner... Here in this parable where the fig tree was. He says, let's not cut it down now. Let's give it another year. Let me work on it. Let me dig around it. Let me, let me work on this. And then the next year if it bears fruit, well and good. But if not, then you cut it down. This illustrates God's long-suffering. His long-suffering. We read in Ephesians 2 verse 4, God is rich in mercy. We read in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, God is not slack concerning His promises as as some men count slackness, but He is long-suffering toward us all, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, the God that provides a second chance again and again 
is taught here in this parable. Paul was given a second chance. Onesimus, we studied about Wednesday night, was given a second chance. We depend on the Lord because He is long-suffering. He is the God of second chances as long as we come back to Him. Let's give it another year. God, even now, is being long-suffering toward us. How thankful we are. How can I make sure that I'm not wasting my life? How can I be sure I'm not wasting opportunities to change and grow toward such a merciful God? Well, here are some suggestions. Suggestion number one is to listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. Listen to your prayers. You saying the same prayers? Same words all the time? Same short little prayer? Listen to your prayers. Listen, listen to your conversation. What are you talking about? You talking about Christ? You you talking about digging into more spiritual things? Are you are you digging deep and, and are you talking about that? Listen to yourself. Psalm nineteen fourteen says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I pray that I pray that verse a lot. Also, listen to the Bible. Listen to the Bible. That's a great way to make sure that we're we're trying to change. Paul, when he was talking with the elders at the church at Ephesus, Acts twenty, verse thirty two, he says, Now I commend you to God. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance which is found among those who are sanctified. Okay. So listen, to, listen to the Bible. The Bible. In Luke chapter 16, you recall that Jesus talking about the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man... He goes, he's in torments. Eventually, the rich man being in torments, he becomes the evangelist because he asked Father Abraham, he said, why don't, why don't you send Lazarus, will you send him back to my father's house? There I have five brothers. They're all living like I, I lived and I don't want them to come to this place where I am. Can you send him back there? And Abraham said what? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear hear them. But the rich man argued with Abraham. said, no, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said, no, it's not the case. If they cannot hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they repent if even if someone comes to them from the dead. Listen to the Bible. Another suggestion is to see yourself through the eyes of God. See yourself, see myself. Starts with me. Got to see myself through the eyes of God. We are impressed so much with that publican that Jesus tells about in Luke 18:13 where in his prayer he's just over in the corner and he can't hardly raise his eyes up to heaven. He smotes upon his chest and he says the words, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
be merciful to me, the sinner. He was looking at himself through the eyes of God. And then another suggestion is to look at yourself without God. Imagine yourself without God. If you want to really try to change and really get yourself to changing, think about life without God. Think about the blessings. Now, as I said earlier, this parable probably has more to it than what we're talking about. It's probably pointing right to the Jewish nation who had all the advantages of Old Testament Scripture and all those years to be able to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And there the Messiah was among them. And they're not believing in Him. They give no indication they're ever going to believe in Him. Look at, look at their, they are a barren tree. If ever there was one, the Jewish nation in Jesus' day and afterwards was a barren tree. And they need to be cut down. I think in A.D. 70, when the Roman army came in, a lot of them were cut down. Okay, But Jesus is appealing to them. Change their ways. Change your ways. Okay? Because else you will be cut down. They have blessings that the rest of the world did not have. And yet they were wasting that opportunity. We also... We need to look at ourselves without God. Okay. Think about the blessings of God. First, think of the blessing of the crucifixion. Hebrews 2 verse 9. Jesus tasted death for every man. For every man. Think about the resurrection. Romans 6, 9 and 10. says that now Christ being raised from the dead, he died no more. Death has no more dominion over him. And since death has no more dominion over Christ, it doesn't have dominion over us as well. Think about, once again, revelation, the Word of God. The Word of God and the blessing that that is for us. Think about the justification of the fact that we can be made right with God because of the blood of Jesus, Romans 5, verse 9. Think about the intercession that Jesus gives us in prayer. Because of Jesus, Hebrews 4.16, we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. That we can, and we can find help and grace to help us in times of need. Think about, think about the expectation that we have that, that after we leave this life, we can be with Christ. Okay. Think about all these nuggets that come from the riches the treasures of God's grace. Think about where we would be if we didn't have each of these nuggets in our lives. Now, this last point is God is determined that we change, that we grow, and that we become more and more like Him. So, please notice here God's call, His demand to change. The difficulty it is sometimes to change, but then God's determined. God is on our side. God is for us. He wants us to be there at His throne. He wants us to live for Him. He wants us to enjoy what is, what is truly enjoyable, what is truly uh, rich, and that is following in His footsteps. This evening, as we have sought to look into ourselves, if we can stop uh, this evening and study and pray, with each other or for somebody, please, will you please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing.